3: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
4: A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Love Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you guys. We're going to be joined in segment number two by Tanner Kern. He does great work over at DriveKings along with the... Ride the line podcast, which you're able to find wherever your podcast he is gonna be joining me. And I know that he's got a little bit of Boston near and dear to his heart as we've he got a very early game for Patriots Day in Boston. Those of you guys out there on the West Coast, as an eight ten AM Pacific first pitch so we're going to be talking about that how that throws these teams off just a little bit with that regard but we're also going to be touching upon the Monday slate what Tanner has been noticing in terms of totals this year as we've been seeing a lot of overs thus far how he's been handicapping those and so much more and then in the final segment going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Monday as we touch them all if you've got a question comment segment idea what have you for this podcast you do have one of two ways we fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at g 41 Keep in mind, letters M, ZM name does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire him whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did get in a few questions as to why I really don't look at the first five market as much? I will answer this tomorrow. I'm a little bit short on time because of Greg Peterson experience. When it comes to weekends, it's actually an hour earlier. So it starts up at what would be 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. And I have to have all my recording done by then. So I don't have the full amount of time to be able to touch upon this as much as I would like to. So I will be banking on that tomorrow. So you can have that rest assured that I will be answering that. But we're going to be answering that tomorrow. And we're going to be taking a look back right now at what we all got in the MLB on Sunday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know that he seems a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. No result between the Giants and the Tigers because that game got postponed after a five-hour rain delay. And if you were a fan that bought a ticket to that game, you should be very, very upset. That was a not good situation. What else was not good? As the DK Nation right up pick did not hit, as it was a case where Alec Manoa let us down. And Manoa, what he got destroyed eight to one the final for the Tampa Bay Rays being able to get it done. Unfortunately, three straight losses on the right up picks. We hope to get back online. On Monday, still 9-7-1 for the season. Not where I want it to be, but at the same time, I take a look at a lot of losses. I do think that things should iron out for Manoa. Seven runs surrendered in four and two-thirds innings, including a home run to Christian Bethencourt. His third of the season and his second straight day with a home run. Shane McClanahan. He did his part. He gave up 106 innings from there. Kompouche, Garrett Clevenger, Jason Adam all able to supply a scoreless setting. And the Rays also went 7 of 16 with Ben in scoring position, which that's just insane. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, nothing doing for them. And the bullpen wasn't bad. Anthony Bass, he gives up a run in an inning. But Trevor Richards, two scoreless innings. Zach Pop, a third of an inning, scoreless. And then yet had Tim give you a scoreless inning. You did see a uh, just complete dismantling out in Cincinnati. The Phillies win 14-3 over the Cincinnati Reds. They put up nine runs in the top of the first inning, so if you were taking a look at the over in this spot, you were able to Get all but a half a run that you needed for it. And the top of the first goes over very easily in the third inning. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, a pair of home runs. Bryson Sot. his first of the campaign, that comes off of Luis Cessa, and JT Ryumito. Gets one off of Revier San Martin for a second for San Martin. He gives up that home run. One run in total over the course of two innings. Fernando Cruz gives up one run in two innings. But, I mean, this is just impressively bad. Luis Cessa got nine outs and he gave up 11 runs, all of which were earned. Just embarrassing. Derek Law, scoreless inning, and then Jason Vossler gives up a run in an inning. That's a position player, and for the Philadelphia Phillies, Aaron Ola did not need to be super in this one, and it was a pretty pedestrian start from three runs, two of which weren't given up in six innings. Didn't need his A-plus stuff, as Luis Ortiz, Craig Kimbrel, Connor Brogdon, they were able to hold down the fourth, they give you a scoreless inning. Patrick Corbin Day was not celebrated by those that betted on the Guardians as the Washington Nationals get a 7-6 win at Shane Bieber. It wasn't lockdown stuff from him by any means. He gives up three runs over the course of six innings, including home run going deep for Washington, Jamie Candelario Third run of the season from there, Luis Garcia gets home run number two of the season as... My opinion, the least trustworthy of the Guardians bullpen pieces, and T- Tim Heron gives that up. He gives up two runs over the course of an inning, but Nick Samlin, he gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Before Trevor Steven, he pretty much allows inherited runners to score as the Washington Nationals get it done there. As for the Cleveland Guardians, they were able to get to Corbin in the spot. The Corbin gives up four runs over the course of six innings, only two of which were earned. There were three errors out there in the field, including Corbin committing his own error. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise there. But Mason Thompson, Kyle Finnegan, they both give you a scoreless inning as Hobie Harris. He does give up two runs over the course of an inning. You did see the Atlanta Braves get it done against the Kansas City Royals by a count of five before. Kyle Wright. Looked much better in this start than he did in his first start. The velocity seems to be getting back up there a little bit more. Two runs surrendered in five and two-thirds innings. From there, you do have Nick Anderson along with A.J. Minter. Both one to scoreless innings. And Michael Tonkin, one and a third innings. Didn't give up two runs, including home run. Going deep for the Royals' Vinny Pascantino. He gets home run number three of the season. But for Zach Greinke, he had won 79 and two-thirds innings with just one home run surrender before Ozzie Albies took him deep in this one. As for Greinke, gives up four runs. Over the course of six innings, including that bomb for Albies, he gets home run number three of the season. From there, the bullpen was able to do their part. Scott Barlow, he does give up a run in an inning, but Aroldis Chapman a scoreless inning, along Josh Taylor a scoreless inning on the bullpen for the Royals. The uh, Miami Marlins got blanked by the Arizona Diamondbacks, 5-0 in the final. Zach Allen was the ace I really dealt in this one. Six and two-thirds innings, scoreless, two hits allowed, no walks, seven punchouts. Kevin Ginkle, Kyle Nelson, they combined to get the first final seven outs of the game, scoreless. And Corbin Carroll took Sandy Alcantara deep. Fourth home run season for Sandy. Another rough start from five runs, four of which were earned. Surrendered in six innings, punch out nine, but gave up that home run. Before you got three scoreless innings out of... George Soriano in his MLB debut, so he was able to hold it down if you had the under in this one. Speaking of holding it down, the Milwaukee Brewers. They take down the San Diego Padres by a count of 1-0. Fair to call you Darvish a tough-luck loser. 12 punch-outs and gives up one run in seven innings, but nobody did anything for him. As Stephen Wilson, Josh Hader, they both supply a scoreless inning, but for Wade Miley, seven scoreless, he punches out eight. Peter Strzelski, Devin Williams, both supply a scoreless inning as the Padres. Go 0 of 6 with men in scoring position. You saw the Boston Red Sox get a good pitching performance and they win by a kind of 2 1. As for the Angels, Reed Devers, a little bit of a tough luck loser. As he goes six and a third innings, giving up two runs, including homer. Justin Turner down for what? His first home run with the Boston Red Sox. But Garrett Woodlock was just better, giving up one run in seven innings. Caleb Ort, Ryan Brazier from there, scoreless eighth and ninth innings. And for the Angels, Andrew wants one and two thirds innings scoreless. But for the Angels, just four hits in this one. Just not able to muster any offense. The Twins are unable to muster any offense on Garrett Cole as well as Garrett Cole. A complete game shutout allowed just two hits. Two to zero. The Yankees get the win for Cole. Ten strikeouts. One walk. He was amazing. And DJ LeMayu, he provided the pop. Second home run season off of Pablo Lopez, who had a good start. I mean, he gives up two runs in six innings, gives up that home run. Griffin Jackson, Emilio Pagan, they both give you a scoreless inning, but the old mantra of you can't win if you don't score, that certainly took hold here. The Mariners barely scored, and it was just enough for them to be able to get it done. One to zero. They take down the Colorado Rockies. Not a bad debut for Noah Davis, who another the five... ERA at the minor league level didn't have a lot of command, but he was able to wiggle his way out of a lot of situations for five scoreless. Danielson LeMet, he gives up one run in two-thirds of an inning before Justin Lawrence, one-and-third in inning scoreless. Brad Ann scoreless inning, is able to stem the tide, but Luis Castillo was just better for the Seattle Mariners. He gives up two hits, no walks, in seven scoreless innings. From there, Paul Sewell, Justin Topa were both able to line a scoreless setting up for the Mariners. They go just 1 of 9 with men in scoring position, but it was enough to be able to get this one to the window. The LA Dodgers are eight and eight. This has to be like the latest in the season since 1950 that the Dodgers have had 500 or lower. Three to two. The Chicago Cubs are able to get the win as Drew Smiley. He gives up a solo home run over the course of five and two thirds innings, going deep for the Dodgers. Chris Taylor fourth home run the season, but bullpen got it done from there. Brad Boxberger, Michael Fulmer both lend a scoreless inning. Albert Alzale, he does give up a run in two thirds inning, but Mark Leiter Jr. gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen and for the Cubs. Cody Bellinger, former Dodger, he comes up big in this one. He goes deep off of Julio Arias for his third home run season. And also in the sixth inning that Bellinger went deep, Patrick Wisdom got home run number six. Of the campaign for Yodia's gives up three runs, two of which were earned, including those two home runs in the sixth. From there, the bullpen did their part. Caleb Ferguson, Evan Phillips, both lined a scoreless, ending and Brusdar Graterol one and a third innings scoreless. You saw the Baltimore Orioles be able to take it to the Chicago White Sox eight to four. The final, and for the Chicago White Sox, second time in this series that they blew a three-plus run lead as they got a four to zero early in this one. Dylan Cease. He would give back a few of those runs, but he was hurt by an error in the field by Jake Berger. He gives up, sees, does four runs, two of which were earned over the course of six innings. Walked five, so pitch count caught up to 113 from their Keenan Middleton, Gregory Santos, both on his scoreless inning, But Aaron Bummer lived up to his name. What a bummer! He didn't get a single out and he gave up three runs. That's not great as Jake Deekman. He comes in, gives an inning, but gives up a run along the way. Jake Berger, I believe this was his third straight day with a home run. His fourth of the campaign also had that error, though. That comes off of Grayson Rodriguez, and Rodriguez gives one up to Gavin Cheats as well. His first, but for Rodriguez, he gives up four runs in the first inning. From there, he was clean, punching out eight. Gives up those four runs in total, and as a matter of fact, for the Chicago White Sox, they score four in the first inning. Nothing after that is Michael Bauman, two squirrels, sings out the bullpen. Felix Batista, Austin Voth. We're both able to lend a scoreless inning as well. In 10 innings, the St. Louis Cardinals get it done against the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 5-4 to four, as Mitch Keller, not a bad start here for the Buccos, gives up three runs over the course of six innings, including a home run to Lars Newtbar, fresh off the injured list. It's first of the campaign. Dwayne Underwood Jr., Colin Olderman, David Benner were able to give scoreless innings to be able to push it to a 10th inning, but... William Crow gives up two runs, one of which was earned in that 10th inning to blow it, and the Pirates they go just 1 of 10 with men in scoring position, as for St. Louis, Miles Michaelis, better start out of him, not terrific, but three runs, two of which were earned, surrendered in five and two-thirds innings, bullpen at his back, Drew Verhagen in the 10th inning allows the unearned run to score, but... You had Giovanni Gallegos and Andre Palanti, both on the scoreless setting, and Zach Thompson, one and a third inning scoreless as well. You saw the New York Mets in 10 innings get it done with Mr. Jose Buto, 4-3 the final, as for the New York Mets, you did have a trio of home runs in this game. Pete Alonso his league-leading 8th home run of the season. That came in the ninth inning off of Denny Jimenez to be able to push this to a 10th inning. Earlier in the game off of J.P. Sears, Francisco Lindor gets home run number four of the season. Tommy Pham is second as... For Sears, he gave up two runs over the course of six innings, both solo home runs. From there, you do get two scoreless innings out of Richard Lovelady. That's an interesting name before Danny Jimenez gives up that home run and three walks to our good friend Pete Alonso in a third of an innings. Sam Ball, he was able to go one and a third innings, giving up the unearned run in the 10th inning before Zach Jackson has to get the final out of that inning. And for the Oakland A's, they have nobody to blame but themselves for this one. They go two of 19 with men in scoring position. For the Mets, they had Mr. Buto give up just one run in five innings, despite the fact they gave up five hits and four walks along the way. But Danny Reyes, two scoreless settings out of the bullpen. Jacob bonus, along with David Robertson, both land a scoreless setting. And John Curtis with two S's. He does give up two runs over the course of an inning. And then the night ended with a game that was looking very much like a dead under until it wasn't. The Texas Rangers, a sixth spot in the seventh inning. They open things up against the Houston Astros to get a 9-1 to win, as for the Astros, they held the Rangers scoreless for the first six innings of this game, and then things just blew up from there, as Framber Valdez gives up five runs, but only one of which was earned, as Jeremy Pena and Jose Abreu both had a pair of bad errors out there in the field, and then Hector Neris inherited, the bases loaded, and Marcus Simeon took him deep. Second home run season for Andrew Heaney. Strikeout numbers were not there in this game, but he delivers five scoreless innings. From there, the Rangers bullpen did their part. Brock Burke gives up a run in an inning, but Jonathan Hernandez, Will Smith, they get jiggy with it. They both get a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Josh Saboris was able to give you five outs out of the bullpen scoreless, and you had Ronald Blanco give up three unearned runs. So the Astros, they allow nine runs and only two of them ...were earned, so that was relatively brutal. And the Astros at 7-9 start to the season. Meanwhile, the Rangers they are 9-6. and six. So we've been seeing some things go a little bit haywire in Major League Baseball. And if you're looking at the last seven days in Major League Baseball... Totals have been relatively figured out. Bookmakers have done a good job of placing these 45 overs to 44 unders. And along the way, you've been able to get a few pushes in there as well. I believe that we've had four in total. But that's been certainly nice to be able to take a look at it for favorites. Straight up, they're doing tremendous. 62 and 32 over the last seven days. But among these 62 favorites, 21 have won by just one run to not cover the run line. And you take a look at the entirety of the season, favorites are hitting at 62.4%. Straight up, 146 and 88, but among those favorites, 36 have failed to cover the run line, and overall in terms of totals this year, still been very good to the over, 123 overs to 102 unders, if you're looking at pushes, I believe that we've got 10 of those in total, so that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we all got on Sunday, now, Let's turn it forward to Monday and take a look at some of those games with one of our good friends, Tanner Kern, who does great work over at DraftKings. We're going to be touching upon those. We're going to be taking a look at some scheduling spots while he's made out of the early season overs in Major League Baseball and so much more right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for...
2: I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep
0: a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events.
1: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting
3: Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
4: And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by this man as Tanner Kern. He does great work over at DraftKings as a nice content creator for them. Taking a look at a little bit of everything. If you like the NBA playoffs, if you like the NFL playoffs, if you like MLB regular season baseball, You're in luck because he does a great job of being able to cover all three. I know he does a great job with the podcast called Ride the Line. You're able to find that wherever you get your podcast. He does a great job with Grant Mitchell on that one. And you're able to find Tanner Kern on Twitter at Easy Enough. His first and last name, Tanner Kern, with an underscore on the end of that. And Tanner, it is great to have you aboard, my friend. Thank you.
3: Greg, thanks for having me. Awesome introduction there. I really appreciate
4: it. I really appreciate you. And Tanner, I know you're a man that has near and dear to your heart a little bit of Boston roots You're out there on the northeast part of the country. So let's lead off with what is going to be the very early game. If you're out on the West Coast, you probably want to fire in as soon as you are able to. And there might be some of you that might sleep through this game as well because we've got the Boston Red Sox and the LA Angels. It's a tradition unlike any other where they've got the early Patriots day game at 8, 10 a.m. Pacific, 11, 10 a.m. Eastern. And what do you make out of this spot with the LA Angels being a very demonstrative favorite with Shohei Otani on the mound, being right around about a minus 150 or so? Because I do think that the body clock mentality of this for the LA Angels having to wake up super duper early, that could take a lot out of them. But it is going to be also interesting to see how Brian Bayo performs in such a big spot as well. Someone that I actually liked as a rookie, got a little bit unlucky, but... I think that this is just a fascinating matchup in which we both know that the Boston fans are going to be out in droves for.
3: Yeah, so the Angels are favored in this game, as they should be, with Shohei Otani on the mound. He's been fantastic this season, .95 whip, .47 ERA. He's as close to unhittable as you're going to get in Major League Baseball right now. So I don't mind the Angels being favored, even though they haven't delivered in this series one bit. I don't love the Red Sox on the money line in this spot. As you said, Bayo going for them. He's just been in rehab starts right now in minor league baseball. Obviously, he's making his first big league start. I loved him last year as well. Got elite strikeout ability, and that's something that you need against this Angels lineup with Otani and Trout at the top of it. I like the Red Sox at plus one and a half, though, in this spot, as we've seen throughout this entire series. The Angels just have not hit in high leverage situations. The Red Sox bullpen's actually been able to get the best of them as we were talking before we came on here. They have not imploded and that is a great sign. If Bello can keep their scoring down early in this one, I don't see the Angels doing a lot of things on offense. I don't see them getting that big hit. And I go back to that first game of the season that Otani pitched against the Athletics. He had 10 punches. I think he threw seven innings, right? And they didn't get the win. He got a no decision. I could see this one happening again. Boston gets the best of the Angels bullpen late, but I do like them at plus one half for a very fair price of minus 115.
4: And it's just such an interesting ordeal as well, with it being a body clock game. As we know, after this game, you get the Boston Marathon going on. And then for those that are fans of hockey, the Boston Bruins, who just took the NHL by storm, they are going to be out for game number one of their playoff series against the Florida Panthers as well. So it's going to be a great day of Boston athletics. So I do think that it's worth talking about Boston a little bit more. They deserve credit because it is a special day for those out there in the great city of Boston. What have you made out of the start of the season for the Red Sox? Because it's clear that this is a Red Sox team that they're going to be able to put up runs. This is a top-plate offense, especially when Edward Duvall comes back, as he is currently on the injured list. But I think what you mentioned is the biggest thing, not being able to trust in this bullpen because – Just take a look at things, and your most trustworthy guy is Kenley Jansen, and for anyone that has been on baseball in recent years, one of the last guys that you want to see on the mound trying to close out a game and try to get you to the window is Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting team, right, because they have the offense, they've been hitting the baseball, but they have not delivered on defense, they really haven't delivered with pitching i mean chris sale just simply hasn't been good the bullpen's terrible i mean i keep seeing this red sox bullpen implode and it, it really bothers me like brazier being out there anytime ryan brazier's on the mound i i have like ptsd because he's never really pitched that well for the boston red sox but offensively they're delivering you got casas devers he's been doing a lot of good things Kike uh, hernandez hernandez been hitting baseball has not been great at shortstop The Red Sox are too talented to not win games this season. I think they're too talented to not go at least 500. They're in a great division, obviously, but they're scrappy. And I think they're going to rally around each other once they get some guys back. You get James Paxton back. You get Bellow back if he can continue to progress, as we saw last season, through his later starts. So I like the Red Sox. I've been a big proponent of them going over their win total this season that hasn't changed and it's good to see them playing with a little momentum right now three straight wins to start the series off they can cap off a series sweep so that would be huge after getting dominated by the Tampa Bay Rays so they're gonna have to beat those kind of teams the Rays and the Yankees to get to that 500 win percentage but I do like them to get there
4: and it does help as well that they're gonna have a few fewer games against the likes of the Blue Jays the Rays the Yankees what have you because with the new schedule, that is going to help out a team like the Boston Red Sox. Any team in a tougher division. Meanwhile, sorry if you're the Kansas City Royals that needs every single win that you can get. As Tanner Kern, who does amazing work over at DraftKings along with the Rival Line Podcast, is joining me on the podcast. And what have you made out of the first now about two and a half or so weeks of the season? Because I think one of the biggest takeaways for many fans take a look at baseballs for one. Games are getting done a little bit sooner. I know that there are a few that dislike that. I think by and large, this has been received very well. But also with the shift rules, we've been noticing that there's been quite a few more runs in this game. And MLB is never, ever going to admit to it. But in my opinion, the ball has been juiced up a little bit more. And I think that has been a big reason why we have been seeing oversitting at about 50, 55.5% or so, depending upon your closing numbers.
3: Yeah, MLB purists might not be happy about the new rule changes, but as a fan, anyone as a casual viewer, this is exactly what Major League Baseball needed. They needed games to finish in under three hours. Like right now, if I, if I see a two-hour and 50, 55-minute game, like that was a long game. A year ago, that was a really quick game. So just from a viewing perspective, it's awesome. From a betting perspective, I have been playing a lot more overs. I have been leaning on the fees more than the Nerfies, which last year I was all over the Nerfies because obviously you could shift and that was taking taking runs off the board so it's been a much better product I do agree the balls are a little juice some of these home runs that we're seeing consistently I mean they are flying out of the yard right now and, and I mean obviously wind is consistent year to year right you're gonna get days where it's windy you're gonna get days where it's not windy but balls seem to be just flying a lot more and I can't blame a pitch clock for that I mean pitchers still throwing 95 to to hundred miles an hour with movement guys are just getting on top of the ball and to find a way to get out of the yard
4: Yep, I agree with you, and I know that you just mentioned it. You are a guy that you'd like to play the yes run first inning, no run first inning. Is there anything in particular that you do take a look at to be able to help out with that? Because I always do find it to be a little bit difficult to gauge just one inning because it is such a small sample size of a game. But has there been anything that you've been able to utilize to allow you to have success with the yes run, no run first inning bets?
3: Yeah, it's definitely a crapshoot. I mean, you're not building your bankroll off your fees and nerfies. I just personally love them. I think it gets your heart racing like nothing else in baseball because a nine inning bet takes a long time to go. And you can get knocked out early, but a lot of times things are going to go up and down throughout the course of nine innings. And one minute it looks good and one minute it looks terrible. But baseball's such a slow game. So you don't get that same excitement level like you do when betting first inning. So I've been looking at wind a lot. Always look at wins. You always look at starting pitchers. Look at just how teams deliver. If you got a team that gives up a lot of runs and they have a decent offense like the Boston Red Sox. Your are always a move. If you get a team that doesn't hit the ball well and has average pitching. That's a team that you might want to lean on nerfies with depending on who's on the bump. So my strategy this year has been for the aces. I'm leaning nerfies most of the time but other than that you always got to give the earthy a consideration because books still really haven't adjusted to these new rule changes. You're getting your a lot of the time for plus money and they're hitting at an extremely high rate this season. So win totals pitching matchups and obviously how often has come out early
4: absolutely and the way that the first setting in general has been going about things because when you bet on no run first setting you also do have to clear the one through three hitters which that's much more difficult than clearing the oh I don't know seven through nine hitters which in most of baseball thus far this season bottom of the order just has not been producing a lot, a lot. that's something that I've taken away from this season as well as Tanner Kern who does a great job over at DraftKings is joining me on the podcast and Tanner I'm not sure what you make out of Teams that have got interesting scheduling spots, but we've got a few of them. One of my favorite things to do has been feigning teams coming off of Sunday Night Baseball in recent years. We're going to have that with the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. And we've got a very peculiar situation with both the San Francisco Giants and the Detroit Tigers. And they had a five-hour rain delay that resulted in no game. Great work, MLB, on that front for one. I mean, you have fans, you've got players, what have you, sitting around for five hours just so that way... They could, I guess, go to Pizza Hut afterwards with no game being played whatsoever and everyone is able to hooray verily about the fact that they didn't take a loss. But what do you make out of some of these scheduling spots? Because when it comes to a situation like the Giants, having no game, having to sit around in five hours and having to fly out late, to Miami, That is a spot where I'm going to downgrade a team a little bit overnight, along with these teams that they are having to play on Sunday Night Baseball, while you've got other teams that they're able to get out right away, they've got those early day games, and they're able to just maintain the regular schedule Since I feel like out of all sports, baseball has the most creatures of habit involved.
3: I totally agree with fading teams coming off Sunday Night Baseball and fading teams when they get out of a rhythm. So the Boston Red Sox, they're not used to playing at 11 a.m. They do it once a year. But when you look at the Angels, that's 8 o'clock on the West Coast. So that's going to throw them out of their rhythm. That's a spot to look at the Red Sox, even though Shohei Otani's on the mound. I think last week the Padres absolutely rolled on Sunday Night Baseball against the Braves, and they came out and they laid an egg against the New York Mets the next day, 5 nothing. They went from Atlanta to New York there, and that was a good spot to fade them because they had to adjust, right? They were hot on Sunday night, but now they get thrown out of the rhythm. They got to fly on a Sunday at night instead of flying on a Sunday afternoon. So you always got to look for that stuff in baseball as well. I, I, like you said, baseball players are very into their rhythm, right? If if you throw them out of their rhythm, it's difficult. Even if it's by a 30 minute start, even if it's by you know traveling on a day that they usually don't travel, it's, it's not having an off day over a certain amount of time, right? So th- that's the stuff that you really got to look at as a better for inside information to get the best bets and win the most on Major League Baseball. It's just a tough sport to bet in general.
4: I do agree with you. Taking a look at some of those little things that, you know what, an algorithm, a spreadsheet might not be taking a look at so much. I think that they can make big differences just moving down the line in general. And what has been a difference maker for a lot of MLB bettors this year has been banking on the Tampa Bay Rays as it has been going very well for them thus far this season. But they're going to be throwing an old bullpen game on Monday as it's going to be Jalen Beek's who's going to be getting the open, and then from there, most likely going to be a little bit more of a wholesale approach for them against the Cincinnati Reds. But you're getting the Tampa Bay Rays at a relatively cheap price. Right now, I'm seeing them as minus 135 in a lot of spots. I'm not sure what you make out of the Tampa Bay Rays start to the season, but I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression coming in. But even though I do think that there's a little bit of regression coming in, I don't necessarily think it's going to be coming against the Reds at 100 green and someone in green that – I think he's going to be really good in two to three years. But I think it's one of these see it to believe it sort of things for Hunter Green. And I've yet to see him really put it together for a sustained amount of time for me to back him against a team like the Tampa Bay Rays.
3: Yeah, the Rays are too talented offensively for Green to shut them down, per se. I know he throws 105 miles an hour, but he's very inconsistent. He can be wild at times. You talk about a bullpen game for the Rays. That's almost a strength for Tampa Bay. You know, they they lost two or three to Toronto this weekend, but Shane McClanahan did shut the door, a game they were supposed to win. This Rays bullpen, though, is fantastic. So when you say bullpen game for both teams, it's it's kind of a concern. But Shane McClanahan had a great start. The bullpen got the rest a little bit, and they are on fire as of late. This pitching staff is fantastic. I mean, a one oh five team, way up a two six four ERA between starters and the bullpen. Closing games, if you don't have a lead against the the Tampa Bay Rays down the stretch, you are going to struggle because of how good they've been. And they've also hit in high leverage situations. I think this is the year that. Wander Franco has arrived. I don't want to say it just yet because he did take a step back last season compared to where he was when he was called up. But Wander Franco has been amazing. Randy Orozarena has been awesome. Brandon Lau has hit in so many clutch situations for this team. And they're beating teams into submission. So against the Reds, a team that they should be, even with the bullpen game, I see them winning comfortably. Get this at minus 135 because I see it jumping up to minus 150 by first pitch.
4: Yep, I am in total agreement with you there. I don't think that the money is going to be coming in on the Cincinnati Reds. I do think that... For the Rays, with it being a bullpen game, it's much different when it's a Rays bullpen game rather than if it's a bullpen game of, oh, I don't know, I'm looking at you, the Detroit Tigers, which that would not be good to say, Santander. Just in terms of the slate for Monday, we've got a relatively full slate, 13 games in total. We've got a few teams that are off, but by and large, a relatively good card in my opinion. Is there anything else that you're taking a look at? Whether it's a team that you're having a tough time figuring out and you want to just get a little bit more of a read on them, Or is there a game that you're going to be looking to bet on?
3: So I have a few spots. You talk about fading a team on Sunday Night Baseball. Now, we don't know how the Houston Astros, obviously we're talking as this game's in progress, we don't know how they're going to do tonight. But I like Toronto coming off two of three wins against the Rays tomorrow against the Houston Astros. Going against Christian Javier, this Astros team off to a very, very slow start. I mean, the Angels are still in second place in the the NL West after losing three straight games. That just shows you how slow Houston has been to get going. So I like the Blue Jays, that they can start to figure it out and get some momentum coming off this two of three games series win over the Rays. And then the other game that I'm looking at is the Brewers against the Mariners. Now, Corbin Burns, he's coming off a very good start last week. That's something that we really have not seen from Burns. He's 1-1 one one with a 519 ERA, 14Ks, 1.1 whip. But last week was against the Arizona Dimebacks, which is a decent offense, was kind of the week that he arrived. Eight innings pitched, three hits, eight strikeouts, no walks. That's exactly what you want to see from Burns. So I'm very excited to see him throw against Chris Flex in, in the Mariners. I know they're minus 142. It's definitely a little pricey for a Mariners team that's been strong to open the year but I like the Brewers in this spot as well
4: absolutely and I do think that the Brewers are getting something going with Corbin Burns and on top of that going up against Chris Flex and that helps out quite a bit as well as the Brewers actually entered into Sunday with the top bullpen array in the big leagues as well and a man that is always on top of his game that'd be you Tanner you do amazing work over at DraftKings. Kings I know you do a great job with the Ride the Line podcast which good folks out there listening could get wherever they find their podcasts. And I know you're doing an amazing job. Take a look at everything when it comes to the NBA playoffs, NFL draft, MLB list goes on and on. So let the good people at home, no, it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, Greg, I
3: appreciate you having me on. So my biggest following is on TikTok. I do a lot of short form videos. You can also find my daily breakdowns on DraftKings Sportsbook, Instagram Reels, and all their social platforms on Twitter as well. Catch me on your show on Thursday nights and then on Twitter at Tanner Kern, uh, giving a lot of betting information on there as well. So pretty much if search Tanner Kern on Google and on social. You're going to be able to find something. So Greg, I appreciate you having me on. It was a blast. Always love talking baseball with you.
4: Absolutely. And if you're looking for ways to be able to lose weight as well, Tanner Kern, I found out on the show last week, he used to weigh 300 pounds. I'm someone that I lost quite a bit of weight for my high school days as well. And he does an amazing job on that front as well. So I mean, Tanner offers a little bit of everything. And that's why we love having Tanner Kern, both on this podcast, along with the Greg Peterson experience, because he's a wealth of knowledge. He does a great job with insights on just everything that you need and whenever tanner joins things always get a bit more informative and things always go terrifically as tanner he does an amazing job taking a look at a little bit of everything over there at draftkings big thanks sam for joining me on the baseball betting show now part of the beast family podcast and coming up next it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this mlb monday as we touch them all
1: this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen
2: As well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on
1: our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
2: on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
3: Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And
4: we're back here, lovely Las Vegas, with the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beason Family and Podcast. Was great to be able to get Tanner Kern aboard. Has joined me a lot on my main show on Visa and the Greg Peterson experience, but was great to get him on the podcast today. He does a great job following so many things. For those of you guys that like the NBA and NFL draft, he's been doing a great job on that front. He is out there in the Northeast part of the country doing an amazing job taking a look at the great game of baseball. And as you heard on this segment, he does an amazing job on that front. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Monday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at unit underscore 81. We're going to be going in the last or This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and any Interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on this first game of 951 952 on the betting board. It is the San Francisco Giants, and they are going to be hitting the road face off against the Miami Marlins. As Ace Luis Cesardo is going to be going for the fish, and Logan Webb goes for the San Francisco Giants. This game was listed in a lot of places with the Marlins being between about minus 128 to a minus 130, between plus 110 to a plus 118 with the Giants, with a total between 7.5 and 8 when this was pulled off the board. This has yet to be relisted because this was actually supposed to be Alex Cobb. Now we are getting Logan Webb, and I made a little bit of adjustment as well. I took into account the fact that the Giants were waiting in a clubhouse for five hours and they were unable to play their game, and that this throws Logan Webb off a little bit. I do feel like Webb is a bit of an upgrade in this ordeal over what you get out of Alex Cobb, but I only bumped it up by about 6 or so cents. I've got the Marlins as a minus-126 favorite as of right now, so willing to lay a minus-125 or less, and with regards to the total, set it at a 7.4, so 7 or less, looking at the over 7.5 or higher to the under Acel Cezzardo. Has been terrific this year for the Miami Marlins, and the big key for him, being able to limit walks. Last year, he had right around 3.2 walks per 9 innings thus far this season, 6 walks in 18 and 2 thirds innings, and last year as well, he had a 4.25 home ERA compared to a sub-3 ERA on the road. You figured that things would iron out on that front. He has been spectacular at home this far the season and for Logan Webb It's been a rough start to the season for him. He has made three starts. He has given up approximately four runs at every one of them. Now, three of the runs that he has given up thus far this season have been unearned, but has been giving up quite a bit of hard contact with four home runs. I don't think that that's going to be the case in this matchup. You've got a Miami Marlins team with not a lot of power. Ode Solaire has been able to give you four home runs, and he did have a 48 home run season with the Royals in 2019. Since 2019, he doesn't have 48 total home runs, so so it's been a big fall off there. Luis Arias does an amazing job moving the line, even with going uh, 4 Yesterday, hitting a 471. Brian De La Cruz, Garrett Cooper, both of these guys are in north of 300. And the Miami Marlins, they're able to reach base. You don't have those big boppers though meanwhile with the San Francisco Giants just all about platooning they're the exact opposite you don't have a ton of guys that move the line with them you do have JD Davis you've got the Estrada both hitting north of a three thirty but I say you've got a lot of guys like Brandon Crawford like David VR Michael Conforto. they are hitting at 220 or lower but with regards to all those guys I mentioned they've hit multiple home runs this season and with the San Francisco Giants I could fully see a scenario where they don't have a single guy that exceeds 30 home runs this season, but they've got like 7 guys that give you 20 plus home runs. That's just the way that they work things with their platooning splits with guys like Jack Peterson, Wilmer Flores, and company. And thus far, you do have a Giants team that has been able to supply 25 home runs in 14 games this season. And both of these bullpens have been rather shaky. The Giants are in the bottom eight in the big leagues in terms of bullpenny you Camille, in Scott Alexander. They both had a sub-3 ERA last season, but the likes of John Brebbia, both of the Rogers brothers, and Taylor and Tyler Rodgers, these are not necessarily reliable guys. And for the Miami Marlins, I do like the pickup of A.J. Puck. I do think that Uscar Brazobin it's going to be able to lock it down a little bit more. He's posted up north of Fort Erie to begin the season, but you do have some question marks there with guys like Tanner Scott, Matt Barnes, and company. It's not necessarily been. So amazing. So I do think that for the Giants, you do have to take into account the strange scheduling spot in general. So I do think the both offenses are going to be off kilter a little bit. Seven or less looking at the over seven and a half prior to the under. But set the Marlins as a minus 126 favorite, willing to lay up to a minus 126 with them. Need at least a plus 127 to fire in on the Giants. 953, 954 on the betting board. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks in the road face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Says Captain yep, Jack Flaherty is gonna be going for the cards, and Merrill Kelly is on the bump for Arizona 8.5 and F and total. Or is any between minus 110 to a minus 115? The under is between minus 105 and minus 110. Cardinals are between minus 155 and minus 170 favorites. Between plus 135 and plus 150 is your number on Arizona. And for the Cardinals, set them at a plus 144. Seeing this, getting north of a plus 145, I'm going to be willing to dive in on the Arizona money line. Now with Arizona, not a ton of power on this team. Christian Walker had 30 plus home runs last season, but he's been off to a slow start this season. It's really been Corbin Carroll and Josh Rojas carrying the mail. For this offense is Carroll. He's good at being able to swipe some bases. He's got four home runs this far this season, hitting about a 285. and then Josh Ross has been hitting well north of a 350. so been highly impressed by him. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you've been able to get out of the rest of the team. Quito Marte has yet to be able to get it going along Jake McCarthy, and it's been a lot of guys you wouldn't expect. I've been stepping up. Gerardo Perdomo along Nick Ahmed are both hitting above a three. As a matter of fact, for Perdomo, he's hitting a 400. That is going to see regression. Meanwhile, Lourdes Gurriel, he's been okay hitting about a 250. But for the Diamondbacks, I do like that they were able to fortify this bullpen a little bit with the pickups of Andrew Chafin and Miguel Castro in the offseason. Kyle Nelson was someone that had a sub-3 ERA. Last season, has fallen well for the St. Louis Cardinals, feels like Ryan Elsley is starting to get back to himself in the bullpen. You've got Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos. We do like, but Andre Pallanti has seen some massive regression this year. And for Jack Flaherty. Seems like this stuff is starting to come back for him, man. He's got really good overall stuff. What he is, though, is wild. 14 walks and 15 in the third innings as far as the season now. It was good that he was able to look much more sharp in his last start against the Colorado Rockies, giving up just one rock walk in five and a third innings. Gave up one earned run in five and a third innings at elevation, so that is something that you do like to see, but it's a little bit of trepidation there. Meanwhile, don't necessarily have as much trepidation with regards to this Cardinals lineup, as you've got a lot of guys are able to reach base for you as Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, both of these guys are hitting north of a 300. Jordan Walker got off to that amazing start to the season. He has cooled down a little bit, but overall is sitting right in the neighborhood about a 267, so he is just fine. You've been able to have guys like Alec Burleson do an amazing job, and you just have a bunch of young outfielders. They do like Tommy been after a slow start to the season. He's been able to pick it up, and even without Lars Newbar, this team has been just fine. But I do think that Merrill Kelly is going to be able to do a nice job of holding down the four. Now for Merrill Kelly, he does have an ERA that's about 1.3 points higher when on the road rather than at home throughout his career. Thus far, the season has a zero ERA on the road, but that one road start came against the LA Dodgers. He only went in that start three and two-thirds innings, which is why he's got that. Zero ERA, and he himself has given up 12 walks in 15 in the third innings. I do think that he's going to be able to hold it down, though, and that should allow him to be able to hold down the fort. You do have St. Louis having Nolan Gorman going off, by the way, as well. Four home runs in north of a three-iron. So I do think that you are going to be able to get some runs in this spot, but at the same time, I do think that Flaherty and Kelly, they're going to be able to work on their mechanics. going to be a little bit of a cooler day out there in the Midwest, and balls that be flying out during the summertime, they are not going to be flying out in this time span. I do think that the Diamondbacks are going to be a little bit more of a team that hangs their head on pitching. I did set my Number at a plus 144 of the Diamondbacks, so getting north of 145. Take a look at this money line of Arizona. Somebody told it's 7.7, so you're at 8.5. Also looking under, 955, 956 on the betting board. The Colorado Rockies play us to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Rich Hill is going to be going for the Buccos, and Kyle Freeland is on the bump for Colorado. And Colorado is anywhere between a minus 135 to a minus 140 favorite. Between plus 118 and plus 125 is your number on Pittsburgh, half is the total. With the over, that is between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is between minus 105, minus 110. And I did set my total at an 11.7. I'm going to be willing to go over. You've had a really good start to the season for Kyle Freeland. He has completely lit it up with two earned runs allowed in 18 and two-thirds innings now. Both of those runs came on slow home runs, so his home runs per nine rate is right around one, Well, his ERA is pretty much in line with his home runs per nine rate, which I find to be very intriguing. And for Kyle Freeland, he always has had an ERA. That's about, about 0.8 points higher when he's been at home rather than on the road. That's just because when you pitch at elevation, that's going to happen to you. And I think that he's going to be much more equipped to pitch at elevation than Rich He's right now the oldest starting pitcher in the big leagues. Got a lot of experience pitching here because he was on the Dodgers for quite a while. But I mean this guy is just really long in the tooth at this point. As far this season is three starts, fifteen innings, giving up twelve runs, six Homer's in 15 innings. I don't think that he's going to continue this ridiculous home runs per nine rate, but I do think that the Rockies should be able to get to him. As you got C.J. Cron, who's been able to supply four home runs. It's a Rockies team that they always hit well at home. They never hit well on the road. Last year, they were the only team to average fewer than three runs per game on the road. As a matter of fact, nobody else averaged fewer than 3.4 runs per game on the road. But they were the top scoring team at home all season long. Now you've got Chris Bryant back in the fold, who's been able to give you about a 350. On base, you do need guys like Ryan McMahon, your pro Profar, throw in there the young shorts up, and Ezekiel Tovar to be able to pick things up. And I do think that at home, they're going to be able to do so. On the road, not so much. And then for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're still dealing with the injury to Oniel Cruz. Connor Joe is someone that used to be with the Colorado Rockies. is hitting well north of a 300, so he's very equipped to have success in this series. Andrew McCutcheon is hitting at 300 for the season. And Brian Reynolds, five bombs. Right around a 315 average. But the guys at the bottom of the fold are not holding up their end of the bargain. Guys like G-Man Choi, Austin Hedges, Cannon Smith, and Jigba. These guys have not been too terrific. And for the Pirates... Currently, Chase Young, one of their top guys in terms of giving you multiple innings out of the bullpen. He's out of the fold. David Benar has been able to do a good job, but now you're having to rely upon Robert Stevenson. It is not necessarily the world's worst bullpen piece for the Colorado Rockies. They were dead last, last season in the league. In terms of bullpen ERA, they do pick up right hand, and they also pick up Pierce Johnson, but right hand, relatively saw Pierce Johnson has not been able to do his part thus far this season. They are still dealing with the injury to Daniel Bard. I actually do like Brent Suter in this bullpen, but I just flat out think that Kyle Freeland is going to be able to give a much better start than Rich Hill. I do think that both of these offenses are going to be able to get active, especially with both of these bullpens being, shall we say, less than terrific. I do think that a bit of regression is coming in for Kyle Freeland, but I think that father time has taken it still on Rich Hill as well. I did set my total 11.7 looking at the over, and with Colorado, set them at a minus 152 on the money line. If you're looking at that run line, finding it between about a plus 125 to a plus 130, need at least a plus 115 to take a shot. I personally am going to lay the run and half just with the high scoring nature of Colorado and them being able to get to Ridge Hill. So looking at laying a run a half with the Colorado Rockies at a plus price and taking a look at this total over 957, 958 on the betting board. It is the Atlanta Braves on the road facing up against the Slam Diego Padres. Max Fried is going to be going for the Bravos, and Ryan Weathers is on the bum for San Diego. And San Diego between a plus 125 to a plus 132 underdog, and between minus 140 to minus 150 is your price on Atlanta. 8.5 is the total. Overs between minus 110 to a minus 120. The under anywhere between even and minus 110. With the Atlanta Braves, I do need at least a plus 117 to take a shot on this run line. Right now, finding between plus 110 to a plus 115. I don't typically like to lay a chalk here like minus 140 or so money line, but wanted want to do it here with the Atlanta Braves. It is going to be Max Freed's first start since the very early part of March. Now, I saw sort of his... I wouldn't call it a rehab start or anything like that. It was like a glorified scrimmage against the Atlanta Braves. They showed footage of that, and he looked relatively solid. So I do feel good about Max Fried. And when it comes to Ryan Weathers... Just a case where he's looked relatively okay to begin the season, but you take a look at his minor league numbers. Last year, he posted up north of 5 ERA. He's always had issues with command. His swing and miss stuff has still not been great this year with 5 punchouts and 10 innings. I've got massive question marks with him. Meanwhile, for Max Fried, he typically does get off to some slow starts of the season. We did see that during the 2000 and... 22 campaign where in the month of April first two starts were brutal and then after those first two or so starts he was really able to become the max free of old and did have a 255 ERA on the road giving up just four home runs at 77 and two-thirds ang so I think that there might be a hiccup or two but by and large I feel good about him especially with the Atlanta Braves backing him up with the lineup that they do as Ronald Acuna Jr. now winning a 373 he is absolutely ridiculous Matt Olsen, he looked good in spring training. That is carried over to the regular season as he, Orlando Arcia, along with Austin Riley, all hitting at least a 3-10. And Olson, has we will give you five home runs thus far this season. Now Arcia, he is injured. Looks like he just hit the 10-day injured list. Was expecting him to be out. So he's going to be out for the next few weeks for this team, which means that you're going to be seeing a little bit more of someone like an Eddie Rosario most likely in the lineup. You should be expecting to see Von Grisham as well. And Grisham is relatively solid. We've been noticing that Sam Murphy has been getting some at-bats as well, and he's been able to do a nice job. Three home runs and 43 at-bats, 446 on base. Braves, they've led the National League in terms of home runs last season. No reason to think that they won't be able to supply some boom this season. And for the San Diego Padres, their offense just has not been there when they have been at home. Now, much of it is just due to the ballpark itself. Petco Park, big reason why. Last year, they had 3.7 runs per game at home. Meanwhile, 4.9 on the road, but Juan Soto is just not living up to the money that he's getting paid. Sitting about a 72 with three home runs thus far this year. He has not been too terrific. Trent Grisham having another struggle of a year. He does have four home runs, but he's sitting at 222. Xander Bogarts has really been the man for the team. Four bombs. He's been able to hit north of a 325 this far this season. Awesome, Kim. He's been able to move the line, but. You got a lot of guys like Matt Carpenter and company that just aren't giving you a whole heck of a lot in for the Padres. This is not a tremendous bullpen. Josh Hader has been able to be amazing in the ninth inning, but Getting to him can be an adventure as they've been trying out Domingo Tapia. It's not been great. Nobel about Christmas last year was relatively solid. It's not been this year. Brent Honeywell, he's a little bit of a role to dice him for the Atlanta Braves. The bullpen is aging. Jesse Chavez is way up there in years. You've got A.J. Minter, Joe Amenas, guys like this. But they're all doing a nice job of being able to hold down the fort. I do think that for the Atlanta Braves, a team with the number four bullpen in the big leagues in terms of VRA last season. They've got an edge with that regard. I think that they've got a nice edge with regards to starting pitching and the lineup. So I did set them as a minus 149 favorite. I'm going to be willing to ride with them on the money line. I don't think the Freed is going to miss this step coming off of the injured list and I do think that with this game in San Diego, it's going to lead to a low scoring game despite the fact that Atlanta has some firepower with their offense. I might tell us 7.4 looking at, at the under and I'm going to be looking at the Braves. Money line, 959, 960 on the betting board. It is the New York Mets. They throw it face off against the LA Dodgers as Dustin May it's going to be going for the Dodgers. And David Peterson, great name, is on the bump for the Metropolitans. 8.5 is your total over and under, both at minus 110. With the Dodgers, they are between minus 155 and minus 165. Favorites between plus 135 and plus 145. Your number on the Mets need at least a plus 158 to take a shot on the New York Mets. But if you're looking at that run line of the Dodgers, getting an aim between plus 122 and plus 130, you're going to be willing to ride with that run line of the LA Dodgers. Now with the Dodgers... It's just time and time again. They either lose outright or they win by multiple runs. They have recorded 118 wins since the beginning of the 2022 season. 102 of them have been by two-plus runs. You've got a lot of good bats in this lineup as Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, both hitting above the third. Now, Will Smith has been dealing with some injuries of his own. He's been in and out of the fold, but looks like he should be good to go. In this one, James Oldman, when he's been getting opportunities, he's been able to make the most of them as he's been hitting for about a 400 on base, three home runs, of Max Muncy, six bombs thus far this season. Mookie Betts has honestly had a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the season, but he was able to get a multi-hit game yesterday. That's something that you do like to see in the seamless, faceless LA Dodgers bullpen. Last year, at the top ERA in the big leagues, as you've got so many guys like Alex Vesia, Caleb Ferguson, Yancey Omante, Evan Phillips, that all had a sub 3-2 ERA a season ago. The big trepidation you have is that Dustin May, he has been a little bit shaky throughout his career. It feels like he is starting to come into his own, though, and it feels like David Peterson is doing the same as well. For Peterson, he's always been able to give you strikeouts right around ten and a half punchouts per nine innings thus far this season. Though the walks have crept up for him. four and a half walks per nine innings as he's got eight walks in total and fourteen and two thirds innings. I do think that he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job in this ordeal. But when you do face off against the LA Dodgers, that is relatively tough. And for Dustin May, he is catching the Mets at just the right time as. They've been really struggling with their bats, as Dustin May, looking to refine that swing and miss stuff. Only 12 punch outs through 18 and a third innings as far this season. He's had seven walks of his own, but for the New York Mets, it's just been a case where the lineup has been so reliant upon Pete Alonso to begin the season. He's hitting about a 270. He's been able to supply the team with seven out of their 15 home runs thus far this season. But you need to find more out of guys like Eduardo Escobar, Mark Hanna, Jeff McNeil, all these guys. Hitting a 2.15 or lower entering into Sunday. Daniel Vogelback has not been giving you much at the plate thus far. Francisco Lindor has got about a 3.70 on base with three home runs. He's been relatively solid, but he's been very touch and go throughout his Mets career as well. So I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to come out. They're going to be able to dominate this game for the New York Mets. The bullpen is still dealing with the only injury to Edwin Diaz, and they are doing a good job of mixing and matching. Brooks Raley, David Robertson. these were some nice additions during the offseason, but now you're having to deal with John Curtis being out there. Jose Buto had to get a spot start, so the bullpen is a little bit more taxed than you'd like it to be. So I do think that the Dodgers, they're going to be able to dive into that pen, and I do think that both Peterson and May might have some command issues in this one. I did set my total at an 8.6. I do think that the Mets offense is going to be able to wake up a little bit more in this spot. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over to go along with that Dodgers run line. 961, 962 on the betting board. It is a Boston Red Sox playing us to the LA Angels. As Shoei Otani It's going to be going... For the Angels and Brian Bayo is going to be on the bump for Boston and your total on this game is nine unders minus 115 the overs minus 105 Angels are between minus 150 to minus 160 favors and between plus 130 and plus 140 is your number on Boston and it is a spot where I set the Angels out of minus 174 on the money line and if you're taking a look at the run line. Finding it anywhere between even money and plus 105, and I'm going to be bypassing that money line. I do think that the Angels are going to be able to handle this one. I am going to be taking a look at the run line, and this is less of a fate of Bayo as it is the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox. They just have not found anything whatsoever, and even if you do get the best of the best in terms of the Boston Red Sox bullpen, you still have to sweat it out with Kenley Jansen, and that is just not a place where you want to be for anyone that has ever been on baseball, you know how bad that could be. But you just take a look at this Red Sox bullpen. Caleb Ward is not too terrific. They're looking at Jake Feria for some innings. John Schreiber was actually very good for this bullpen last season. But Ryan Brazier, Richard Blyer, these are guys that are just not cutting it in for Mr. Bayo. I actually do think that he's going to be able to end a relatively solid start. This is a young kid at age 23 that he had an ERA that was very heightened last season at a 471. That was not his fault, though. He gave up one home run in 57 and a third innings. The defense behind him was terrible. He does need to lock in with the walks. He was giving up north of four walks per nine innings, but he was getting right around nine strikeouts per nine innings. I think that he's got really good stuff. I just think that the lineup is going to give him a turd of a performance. Meanwhile, for Shohei Otani, this guy has become a guy that I could see winning the Cy Young this season. He has been absolutely tremendous on the mound to this point giving up one earned run over the course of his 19 innings. Now, two of the starts that he had, he came against the Washington Nationals and also the Oakland A's, but he has been absolutely masterful. He's getting a lot of swings and misses. And then this Angels lineup, it is one of the most loaded in all of baseball. It can be a little bit inconsistent towards the bottom as guys like a brand-new Drury, Jake Lamb, May have been a little bit of a letdown thus far this season. But the man I was talking about, Otani, along with Mike Trout. Both of these guys have been able to do an amazing job moving the line. Three-plus home runs out of both of them to begin the season. You've got Hunter Renfro hit north of a 250 with 25 home runs last season. With the Milwaukee Brewers, he's picking up right where he left off. Here with the LA Angels, Logan Hoppy has been able to give you four home runs. He's hitting about a 250. And then for the Boston Red Sox, they are dealing with the injury to Adam Duvall. He was hitting north of a four with four home runs before he went on the injured list. So... Got a lot of dead bats in the lineup right now. And I do think that you're going to see Kike Hernandez and Musataka Yoshida be able to pick it up with both of these guys. Christian Wong, Christian Arroyo, Rob Refsnyder, Yu Chang. These are all guys hitting at 2-12 or lower. You really get outside of your main four with the Boston Red Sox with Rafael Devers being able to do a great job, 5-plus home runs, sitting about at 260. Justin Turner doing a nice job of moving the line. And you really don't have a lot. With this Boston lineup, I do think that Shohei is going to be able to put these guys on lockdown for the Angels. It's actually a bullpen that ranked 11th in terms of ERA after the All-Star break last season. It's not an impressive bullpen. Matt Moore had a sub-two ERA last season with the Rangers, but we're seeing regression there. Andrew Wanso, Jose Cuillada. I mean, these are guys that are okay; they aren't great. Carlos Aceves, I really don't have a lot of faith in, but I still like them more than the likes of Caleb and company for the Boston Red Sox. I actually do think that Bayo is going to be able to give you good performance. I think that this is just a sleepy spot. In general, for both teams, this is an 8:10 a.m. Pacific. First pitch. If it wasn't for the tr- fact that Shohei Otani is just so disciplined, he always prepares like a pro's pro, I'd be willing to fade the Angels. But with it being Shohei Otani, I think that he's going to be nails in this spot while the rest of his teammates wake up. So I am going to be willing to take the Angels on the run line, set them as a minus 115 on that run line. I did set my toilet at 8.2, so you're at a 9, looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at this run line of the um, LA Angels. Now we have my DK Nation right up 963, 964 on the betting board, the Cleveland Guardians. Hit the red face off against the Detroit Tigers. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Tigers. And Hunter Geddes is on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland is ending between a minus 112 to a minus 120 favorite. And between even money and plus 105 is your number on Detroit. Eight is the total. Seeing the over at minus 115. The under is minus 105. Seeing a straight in half out there as well. Under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. And right up is going to be on the Guardians money line. Felt like this should have been closer to a minus 154. And for the Detroit Tigers, they're just thrown out of sorts by the fact that they had to wait around for five hours to play no game yesterday. So that's just absolutely great. There is a chance that we might see Matthew Boyd. Right now, MLB.com as Eduardo Rodriguez, ESPN as Matthew Boyd. Either way, I've got both of these guys relatively slotted the same. It's not going to make too much of a difference for me, especially when you just take a look at the Tigers' lineup. Regardless of who pitches, you can't win if you can't score And the Detroit Tigers. They're dead last in the league at on-base plus slugging. They're in has a collective of 208. That is dead last in the league. You've had Nick Bainton be able to give you three home runs this far this season, but this is just a putrid Detroit Tigers lineup. They don't really draw a lot of walks. Riley Green is hitting about a 235, but, I mean, you've... Just, you're looking for anyone to be able to get on base for this team right now. You've got one guy with at least 20 at-bats that's sitting above a 238. It has been deplorable for this bunch. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Guardians, yes, they are dead last in the American League in terms of total home runs. But at the very least, you've got guys that are able to move the line. Jose Ramirez, Ahmed Rosario, Andre Jimenez, throwing their Oscar Gonzalez, Will Brandon, all guys that last year at at least a 270. Josh Bell seems to be riding the ship a little bit, still leading a puck 90, but and a nice double in that series against the Washington Nationals. Miles Straw, after he was a dead bat last season, he's been able to do a good job of being able to get on base as well. And for the Cleveland Guardians, they're backed up by by far the better bullpen. As right now, the Guardians, number one in terms of bullpen area since the all star break of 2022. So, back half of last year into this season, James Karenchek, Eli Morgan, Emmanuel Claus Say. Trevor Steven, Nick Sandlin, all these guys had a sub 3-3 ERA last season, and for the Tigers... 25th in bullpen ERA this season. A lot of the guys that you know and love from last year's bullpen, like uh, Gregory Soto, Andrew Jafin, Joey Menez, these are guys that are out of the fold. They did retain Jose Cicerno, but then you've got Jason Foley, Alex Lang, two of the lesser guys from that bullpen last season that need to hold it down. And if you do have Eduardo Rodriguez, he gets loose with things as he led the American League in terms of total walks in the 2019 campaign. He Just has not really been able to find it. I recognize that he's been a little bit unlucky He's fielding independent compared to his ERA two seasons ago. Just really did not match up but three home runs surrendered at 16 innings and it's even worse if you trot out there Matthew Boyd as he's got a home runs per nine rate since he back out of the 2018 season of right around two. Just has not been able to get a lot of starts in general. He jacks up his pitch count with a bunch of walks which means that you're going to be relying a lot on that Detroit Tigers bullpen. So whether you've got Rodriguez or you've got Matthew Boyd out there shouldn't change the number too much in terms of my handicap or the books. My DK Nation write up that is going to be on the Cleveland Guardians Bunny line, and either way, I'm going to be looking at the 800 because the Detroit Tigers are doing absolutely nothing at the plate. I did set my tall and at 7.9, the Guardians, they certainly aren't a team that's necessarily going deep, but I think that they lock it down with their bullpen. Under Gaddis, I recognize that he has not been too terrific. 8.53 ERA thus far this season and for his career, north of a 12 ERA, but if you take a look at his five career starts, he had to go up against the New York Yankees, the Seattle Mariners, along with the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros the past two seasons. His one start against a lesser team in the Oakland A's gave up one hit over the course of six innings at the minor league level last year. 11.7 strikeouts cuts per nine innings. I do think that he's going to be able to lock it down. So, my Right-up pick here is the Guardians on the money line and at an eight looking at the under. 965-966 on the betting board. It is the Kansas City Royals playing us to the Walker Texas Rangers as Jacob Degrom is going to be going for the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, Jordan Lyles is going to be on the bum for the Royals and the Royals, they are finding themselves as a massive underdogs in this spot of anywhere between plus 175 and plus 185. Meanwhile, minus 205 pretty much across the board. Your number on Texas, 7.5 is the total. Overs minus 115. The under is minus 105. Seeing a straight eight out there as well. Then under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. Currently seeing a run line price of the Texas Rangers of a minus 115. I have to think that this is going to be going upward a little bit, but that said, at a plus 175 or greater, I'm going to be willing to take a shot on the Kansas City Royals. I was talking about it with Tanner Kern. Taking a look at these teams coming off of Sunday Night Baseball and fading them and last time Jacob deGrom had a start against the Kansas City Royals, the Royals actually went on the road and they were able to win that game in extra innings. Jacob deGrom hasn't been terrible this year if you take out the opening day start that he had against the Philadelphia Phillies, but he still hasn't necessarily looked like his Jacob deGrom self in regular season starts. Among his last eight, he's given up three plus runs in five of them dating back to last season. He's not giving up a lot of walks, just two walks in 16 Two-thirds strikeout numbers are there from, but it just feels like there is something a little bit off with them. And for Jordan Lyles. The big thing with him is being able to keep the ball in the yard because you take a look at the 2022 campaign that he had with the Baltimore Orioles. He was a big beneficiary of those Baltimore ballpark dimensions. He gave up six home runs in 83 innings at home, 20 bombs in 96 innings on the road. Season before, while he was with, ironically enough, the Texas Rangers, he was getting lit up for right around two home runs per nine innings. As far as this season, two bombs surrendered in 17 and a third inning. So he's been able to do a little bit of a better job there, not giving up a lot of walks. But the big thing is the Royals do need to get to Jacob Degrom because. Right now, you've got a team that is sitting right in the neighborhood about at 211. Other than the Detroit Tigers, they've been the most deplorable offense in the big leagues. But some of these young guys are starting to pick it up. Vinny Pascantino, Bobby Wood Jr. are both hitting above a two sixty. Salvador Perez, I think, is going to be able to get out of neutral. Right now, he's got two home runs sitting right around about at 235. We all recall two seasons ago, he had that season in which he led the league. In terms of home runs, the big question marks do rely with guys like a Nick Prado, Michael Massey, Hunter Dozier, MJ Melendez. These guys are hitting the <laughs> cat Below a buck seventy five right now, but for the Texas Rangers, they're a bit of a wounded bunch as well as they're dealing with the injury to Corey Seeger. He's going to be out for darn near a month. That's a big issue. Ezekiel Duran, along with Adolis Garcia, Laodie Tavares, Robbie Grossman, these are not guys that really move the line. They're only at two twenty five or lower now. Garcia was able to hit for about a two fifty with twenty five plus home runs last season, but it was very up and down with him. Marcus Simeon, he did not have a home run in his first fifty six games of the season last year. He's got one thus far. this season. Nathaniel Lowe has been able to move the line. I actually do like this. Texas Rangers bullpen entering into Sunday Night Baseball. They were in the top eight in terms of bullpen era. You've got guys like Jose LeClerc, Brock Burke, Jonathan Hernandez, while at a sub-3 ERA last season, and Will Smith is getting jiggy with it in that bullpen as well. But I think the Royals are going to be able to do just enough in their bullpen to be able to hold it down as well. They've now got Josh Stam out back, who two years ago looks solid. It's here was a lost season due to injury. It looks like he's back at full force. Scott Barlow, he's able to lock it down and roll this Chapman. He's not great, but at the same time, it's better what the, than what they had a season ago. And I do think that Taylor Clark is starting to come along as a little bit of a reliever as well. No doubt Texas should be quite a bit of a favorite in this spot, but I think that the number has gone a little bit too demonstrative, and I haven't liked what I've seen out of Jacob deGrom. So at a plus 175 or greater, I'm going to be willing to take a look at this money line and also set my total at 78 Right now, I'm seeing anywhere between 7.5 and, and I've seen some 8s pop up as well. Personally, I would rather have an 8-under rather than a seven and a half over as of right now. So looking at an 8-under and taking a look at plus 175 or greater with the Kansas City Royals. 967, 968. On the betting board, it is the Toronto Blue Jays. They hit the road. They're facing off against the Houston Astros. It says Christian Javier is going to be going for the Astros and Kevin Gosman is on the bump for Toronto. Toronto is anywhere between minus 122 and minus 136 favorites and between plus 110 and Plus one twenty four, your number on Houston. 8-8.5 to is the total on the 8.5, under is minus 120, and the over is even on the 8, the over is minus 120, and the under is even. And I made the Houston Astros a favorite. I do like to fade these Sunday night baseball teams, but for one, Houston is not going to need to travel in this ordeal, so that does make it a little bit more feasible. And for two, Kevin Gosman. He had the best fielding independent in the American League last season, but when I watch him, I do think that his ERA actually lines up with how he's pitched, which has been right around the neighborhood of three ever since he's gotten to the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, he has been very solid this season as he's got a buck 35 ERA in 20 innings pitch. He's given up three runs but two of those were on home runs as well and he did give up three runs in that game against the Detroit Tigers and he's also been on the hook for three unearned runs as well so you do have to be a little bit mindful of that. He is backed up by a top 10 bullpen in the big leagues. You do have quite a few guys that should be on call in this one like Amy Garcia, Adam Simber throwing there, Tim Mays, uh, Jordan Romano, guys like this. I do like what they're able to provide but the use of Astros, though the bullpen has not necessarily been itself thus far this season. I did expect regression line here They were number one in the league in terms of bullpen ERA, but that took career years from guys like Ryan Stanek, Brian Abreu, Seth Martinez, Hector Neris, Rafael Montero. You are able to go down the list. I still do think that they are better than their bottom 15 bullpen that we've seen thus far this season in terms of ERA. I do think that their watermark is probably being more around 10th in the league. With that regard, I do think the things are going to balance out. I do think the things are going to balance out a little bit more for Alex Bregman as well. He always starts off the season very slow, entered into yesterday, hitting a 203. I do think that he's going to be able to write the ship with that regard. You've got Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, who have both been able to give you four home runs apiece, both entered into yesterday, hitting north of 400 in terms of their on base. Mauricio Dubon, Chaz McCormick, they've got both a 383 on base going into yesterday as well. So even without Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley, I do think that this team is going to be fine. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, they haven't really. He really hit a lot of home runs this year. I do think that that is going to be going northward. Just 16 home runs in their first 16 games of the season. But you do have guys that are doing an amazing job moving the line. Hitting at two eighty two as a whole, that's a top five mark in the big leagues now. Matt Chapman is not going to continue at a 421 along Kevin Kiermaier continuing at a 325, but these guys have been solid at the plate to begin the season. George Springer, he's going to hit better than a 240 as well in the inverse of that. Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr. They're seeing the ball up at the plate very well. Bichette, four home runs, just two for Vlad Guerrero Jr. You know that that's going to come around. Oh, Andrew Kirk has had a little bit of a tough time of it to begin the season as well, but I do have faith that he's going to be able to have a nice season as well, but I do take a look at Christian Avier, and I do think that he's going to be able to lock it down in this spot. Last year, he had north of 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Would get a little bit loose with the walks right around 3.2, 3.3 walks per nine innings, but last year, 226 Home year, gave up about 1.3 home runs per nine innings, so he would allow a little bit of hard contact, but he allowed a very limited contact in general. As last season, opponents hit a buck seventy off of him. I just like the stuff a little bit more of Christian Avier more than I do like that of Kevin Gosman. I do think that both of these bullpens are relatively solid. I don't think that either of these bullpens are going to be below the bottom ten when it's all said and done in the big leagues. I don't think that either are going to be in the top five, so I've got them pretty comparable, and I'm willing to trust that Christian Avier at home in this ordeal. I did set my total at seven point eight. I'm going to be willing to dive under. We've seen some ailments and some lackluster play from the Astros to say the least. And I think that we've got a really good pitching matchup in general as well. Set the Astros at a minus 113. We'll take them on the money line and looking at the 800. 969, 970 on the betting board. It is the Tampa Bay Rays on the road. Facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we're on to Cincinnati. And they're on 100 green getting the start for them. And Jalen Beeks is starting a bullpen game for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Rays between a minus 142 and minus 145 favorite. Meanwhile, you've got plus 120 to plus 135 on the Cincinnati Reds. Nine is your total. Over is minus 115. The under is minus 105 and it is a good old wholesale approach for the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that currently has the number one bullpen in terms of ERA in the big leagues. I could see Jalen Beeks being able to give you three, maybe even four innings. I remember when he was coming up with the Boston Red Sox, he actually was originally a starter for them. So it's not like this guy is necessarily some sort of a schlub or anything like that. And then you're probably going to be seeing a lot of Taj Bradley after that, though I would not be banking on that. They could be using Taj Bradley a little bit more on Tuesday. I think that this is going to be more of a go-with-the-feel sort of thing for the Tampa Bay Rays, but regardless of if they do utilize Bradley as a little bit more of a bulk guy or not, I do feel like you're in very good hands with the Tampa Bay Rays team that they currently have the best bullpen area in the American League. You've got so many guys who are able to give you multiple innings. I mentioned Bradley a little bit before, but you've also got someone like a Colin Pouchet, who's able to do a good job for the team. Kelvin Fautcher, we saw him be able to deliver north of two innings on Saturday. Yoni Chirinos is able to give you a little bit of length as well. I don't think that they would necessarily go to Chirinos in this spot because they did have to utilize him so much with that Jeffrey Springs injury a couple days ago, but you've got just all these raised bullpen pieces Able to go multiple innings, and or Green, he just gets lit up, which is not good when you're pitching in Cincinnati. He allows a lot of fly balls whenever people are able to make contact, because his strikeout numbers are great. Great. 23 strikeouts in 14 innings thus far this season, but when guys hit it, they go a very long way. For his career, about 1.7 home runs per nine innings. Now, he has only given up one home run in 14 innings thus far this season, but 10 and the third innings without a home run surrendered away from him. is one start at home, three and a third innings. Guess what? That's where he gave up the home run, and his walks per nine rate for his career is darn near four, which means that you're going to be seeing quite a bit of the Cincinnati Reds bullpen. that does have Alexis. He along Fernando Cruz. A pair of guys that had a sub-2 ERA a season ago, but Revere Sam Martin, Derek Law, Ingebo, guys like this are not very trustworthy. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, I don't think that they're going to continue this offensive outburst that we have seen. They're currently on pace to be hitting north of 320 homers this season. That is just absolutely ridiculous. They're hanging as a collective at 279 with really no weak links for this team. Out of all the players that have at least 37 at bats, only Manuel Margot is hitting below a 255. And Manuel Margot is a really good hitter. So, I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. You've got Wander Franco, Randy Orozarena, Isak Paredes, Brandon Lau, Harold Ramirez. I mean, you just go down the list. Luke Rayleigh, Randy Arozarena, all giving you at least three plus home runs for the Tampa Bay Rays. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, they did not return anyone with north of 12 home runs a season ago. Jason Vossler has been able to give you a tray of home runs thus far this season, but they're averaging less than home run per game thus far this year. They are able to move the line. Jonathan India sitting above a 300 right now. You've got guys like a, TJ Friedel, Jake Fraley. Throwing their tire. There's Steven said all in north of a 280, but not a lot of power in this lineup. You've got a very lackluster bullpen as well, but I do think that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to do a very nice job holding down the fort in this spot. I just think that the Rays are going to be able to take it to Hunter Green in a very hitter-friendly ballpark. We always talk about the bandbox that The Yankee Stadium is Reds ballpark, Great American ballpark, probably even worse. Semi-total at 9.3, so here at a 9, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I was willing to lay a price on the Rays' run line. I said it at right around about a minus 110. I set the Rays more on a minus 170 on the money line, so I'm going to be willing to take the raise run line, lay a run and half, get a plus number of right around a plus 120 to go along with this line over. 971, 972 on the betting board. The Philadelphia Phillies are on the road facing off against the Chicago White Sox as Lance Lynn is going to be going for the Southsiders. And you've got Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler on the bump for the Phillies. And the Phillies are between minus 120 to minus 130 favorites. saying between even money and plus 115, your number on the White Sox. seven and a half is you told Unders between minus 110 to a minus 120 the over is anywhere between even a minus 110 and I did something total at some i eight I'm gonna be looking at the over got a guy in Lance Lynn that has gotten off to a rough start to the season, and we noticed it with him last season as well. Lance Lynn, first two months of the season. For him, it was June and July because he was dealing with an injury the first two months of the season. And north of a 6 ERA. After that, it was a sub-250 ERA, so he is prone to slow starts. Zach Wheeler is prone to slow starts. In the months of March and April throughout his career, he's got an ERA that's hovering right around about a 430, so he's had a little bit of a rough go of it there, and you take a look at his home and roads last season as well. Zach Wheeler had a 3.84 road area compared to a buck 85 home area, so clearly he does his best work in Philadelphia thus far this season, and his one start away from home gave up four earned runs, five runs in total over the course of four and a third innings, and when he's been at home, he's been able to hold down the fort, so I do find that to be of intrigue, and both of these bullpens have been two of the lesser ones in the big leagues. The White Sox are dead last in terms of bullpen area. The Phillies are in the bottom ten now. I do think that for the Phillies, they are going to be able to find their with his bullpen as Jose Alvarado has been just striking guys out left and right. He looks good. Sir Anthony Dominguez, after a couple bad appearances to begin the season, he's looked okay. And then with Gregory Soto, I think that he's going to be able to find it, get back to that form that he had with Detroit. But you also have Craig Kimbrel in this bullpen, and that's just bad. Andrew Vasquez, not someone that you do want to be trusting in too much. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they're doing a great job of reaching base. They're hitting at 277 as a collective, that leads the National League. As Bryson Saad, Trey Turner, Alec Bohm, Loth Brandon Marshall are all guys hitting at least a 335. Umando Sosa is in that fold as well. They haven't necessarily cranked out a bunch of deep balls. Kyle Schwarber does have four home runs, and he's doing this while providing about a 340 on base, but the deep ball's not necessarily been there for them. It's been a lot of doubles. It's been a lot of singles with Bryce Harper being on the fold, Reese Hoskins being out for the season, and now Derek Hall being on the injured list. Meanwhile for the Chicago White Sox, could just anyone out of this bullpen throw for them? Because you've got Rinaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert, along with the likes of Kendall and Aaron Bummer, were. I'm not going to say terrific last year, but they weren't horrible. And this year, they've been absolutely horrible. So that's far from terrific we got a White Sox team that they themselves don't have a lot of power. Jake Berger and Luis Robert have a combined nine home runs as far this season as the team as a whole. as 15. Now, they are third in the American League behind the Blue Jays and the Rays in terms of batting average. And You've got a lot of guys that are moving the line for the team. Yes, money. Grandal, along with Tim Anderson, Yohan Mankata are all eating at least a 295. Problem is, Yohan is injured once again. Go figure there. Eloy Jimenez, the with injury. Go figure there. Gavin Cheatso, he's been able to do a good job of reaching base. Luis Robert and Benetetti, both inning right around 275. And Robert Five home runs this far this season, but for the White Sox, they don't take their base as well, which is an issue. But I'm still willing to ride with Lance Lynn as a little bit of a favorite. Lance Lynn does a good job with his command. Fear of the two walks per nine innings last season. He does have seven walks in his first 16 innings thus far this season, but I do think that he's going to be able to find his way a little bit more. I do think that just being able to limit hard contact in general at home, I think is going to be massive for him. You take a look at the 2022 campaign, and he just got unlucky with the deep ball, giving up right around 1.6 home runs, nine innings at home, he was giving up right in that neighborhood about 1.7-ish home runs per nine innings. And with the Phillies not really able to go deep as of right now, I think that that is actually going to be to his advantage. I did set the White Sox at a minus 111 on the money line, so one thinks it's plus price with them on the seven half. Going to be taking a look at the over as well. 973 974 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs are on the road facing off against the Oakland A's as Kyle Mueller goes for the A's. And Aiden Wozneski is on the bump for the Cubbies. And the Cubs are between minus 130 to minus 145 favorites between plus 115 and plus 131 is your price on Oakland. 8 to 8.5 is the total. On the 8.5, under is minus 120. The over is even on the 8. Over is between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is between even and minus 105. And for the A's, I set them as a plus 148 underdog. I'm going to be willing to ride with the Cubs. Now the real question is, what is the Cubs run line price? And right now finding an A between plus 120 to a plus 125 Needed at least a plus 120 to dive in, and I am going to be one ride with this Cubs run line. I do think that Kyle Mueller is actually going to be able to give you an okay start. As far this season of 5.52 ERA. Much of that came in his last start against the Baltimore Orioles. First two starts at home, 10 and two-thirds innings against the Guardians and the Angels. Gave up three runs, kept the ball in the yard. He has been giving up a few more walks than what you'd like about four and a half walks per nine innings as far this season. But overall, hasn't been great, hasn't been terrible. He's backed up by a bullpen that he got a couple okay pieces, even with Domingo Acevedo out the full, Danny Menace, Zach Jackson, Sam Wall. These are guys that had a sub-3.5 ERA last season, but currently they're in the bottom five of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. Cubs bullpen, though, it does leave something to be desired. Michael Fomer, Brad Boxberger were nice off-season acquisitions, but Michael Fomer has honestly looked like himself thus far this season, having to rely upon guys like Julian Weatherbrand Brandon Hughes, and company Not necessarily amazing, but for the Chicago Cubs, they're doing a really good job of being able to move the line and Cubs pitching in general. is coming in in really good form as they allowed approximately two runs in all three of their games against the L.A. Dodgers. You've got Dansby Swanson along Vico Horner who have been able to do an amazing job of reaching base. Both hitting north of a 330. you You've got Ian Half who has been able to give you north of a 4 on base. Not a lot of power with the Chicago Cubs. Patrick Wisdom has six of the team's 16-home runs. As far this season, but Cody Bellinger, he's starting to find a little bit more of that MVP form that we saw a few seasons ago. He's never going to get fully back to it, but that has been encouraging for the team. Someone like Nick Madrigal has been able to move the line, and for the Oakland A's, this is one of the most deplorable lineups that you're going to find in the big leagues, as... You've got not a lot of guys that are moving the line. As among your top five players in terms of at bats, you've got one guy that is currently inning above a 200, and that'd be the young gun and Estudi Ruiz, who's been able to hit a little bit above a 300. Brent Rooker has been able to give the team four home runs and limited at bats. He's hitting a 333. But as a collective, you've got an Oakland A's team that is hitting a 235, and they play in an incredibly pitcher-friendly ballpark, which means that their numbers get even more diminished. At home, they're hitting a 216 as a collective, so I do think that that is going to be a big factor in this game, and I do think that Wozniski is going to be able to find a little bit more of that 2022 form. Here in his first two starts of the season, it's not necessarily been so great as he has allowed a grand total of 10 runs in his two starts. Now, only five have been earned. He was just badly hurt by his defense in that game against the Seattle Mariners that just turned into a big giant calamity but you take a look at what he was able to do during the 2022 campaign. He had a sub-230 ERA at the minor league level. Was not necessarily a strikeout artist but was relatively solid at being able to get strikeouts. He's got relatively good command. Doesn't give up a lot of the deep ball And Going up against this terrible Oakland A's lineup I do think is going to be of the benefit of him. Did something my total 7.6. Don't have a Cubs team that's necessarily cranking out a lot of deep balls. I do think that Wisniewski is going to be able to land a good start for the Cubs so look at the 8-under. And the Cubs run line and we wrap things up with 975-976 on the bank board. The Milwaukee Brewers set the road face off against the Seattle Mariners as Chris Flexen goes for the Mariners and Corbin Burns is going to be on the ball for the Brewers, and the Brewers are between minus 138 and minus 145 favorites, anywhere between plus 120 and plus 132. Your price on Seattle, 7.5 to 8 is the total on the 8, under is minus 120, the over is even on the 7.5, over is minus 120, and the under is even. And when it comes to the Brewers, I did set them on the money line as a minus 153 favorite. I am going to be one to lay it with them. I don't want the run line in the spot. The Seattle Mariners, they still do have one of the better bullpens in the big leagues, even with Andres Munoz being out of the fold. You're able to get good production out of the likes of Penn Murphy, Matt Brash, Paul Seawold. So these guys I do think are going to be a lockdown though. Diego Castillo, not necessarily so trustworthy. And for the Brewers, they do enter into this game. Top team. And then actually in terms of Will area. could see a little bit of regression with guys like Joel Pionz, Hobie Milner, Peter Serselski and company. Though Devin Williams, one of the best closers in the game. But with Corbin Burns, he's actually pitched better on the road than on the ho- than at home in the last few seasons. As his road ERA is about a half a point lower than his home ERA over the last two seasons, and on the road this year, he's given up four runs and 13 innings. Meanwhile, at home, he gave up six runs and four to third innings in that first start of the season, so that's clearly playing out to form thus far this season. Meanwhile, you've got someone in Chris Flexen that very much is a pitcher contact guy. Since getting to Seattle, he's only been able to get right around six half strikeouts for nine innings. In his last start, he got seven outs, and he gave up eight runs, all of which were against the Chicago Cubs as well, so not necessarily the tape that you do want to be putting out there. Now, Flexon has been quite a bit better in Seattle than he has been on the road in his most recent two seasons. But still, I do think that for Seattle, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. And they could only muster one run yesterday against the Colorado Rockies, trotting out there a guy, in Mr. Davis, who is making his first career start. It's been a slog for them at the bottom of the because the guys at the top have been able to get on base, and Eugenio Suarez, Ty France, they're both hitting above a 285 for Suarez, you do expect a little bit more than two home runs, that's going to be coming, but Cal Raleigh, he's still continuing to not be able to reach base, it's a little bit all or nothing with him, with home run or bust now, Jared Kelnick, he's hitting north of a 350. native of the state of Wisconsin, has four home runs, including a 480 foot tank shot, against the Cubs from last week, but Colton Wong, A.J. Pollock have just not been able to get on base. It's been a relatively rough go of it for the guys at the bottom. Meanwhile, for the Milwaukee Brewers, I am expecting regression from the likes of Bryce Terang, Brian Anderson, what have you. I do really like this Garrett Mitchell kid, though. He's been able to 286 as far this season. A former first round pick with five home runs already this season. Christian Yelich sitting at 230 with two home runs. Once again, another disappointing year for him, but Willie Adamas has been able to pick it up. 380 on base, three home runs. Like what I'm seeing there for the Milwaukee Brewers. I think that their bullpen is in a little bit of better form. Corbin Burns certainly is in better form as well. And this is a nighttime game in Seattle. So the ball is not going to be flying a whole lot. So my total is 7.3 looking at the under. And I'm to take the money line of the Milwaukee Brewers. At the more around 152. And... That will wrap things up. For the Monday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast, a big thanks to Tanner Kern over at DriveKings for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to find those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at underscore underscore one. Keep in mind letters EM. I mean, does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is fine. an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. Here fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast so I have that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals,